Hi, I'm uh, Gavin Giovanoni. I'm Professor of Neurology at Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And today I'm going to talk to you about an issue that may not be relevant to the whole MS community, but it will be relevant to people who are on a drug called natalizumab or Tysabri, or maybe going on to it in the future. It's concerning the new subcutaneous uh, formulation of the medication. So for those of you who don't know about natalizumab, it's the first selective adhesion molecule therapy that was licensed uh, and licensed for multiple sclerosis. The way the drug works, um, it blocks the trafficking of lymphocytes, which we think cause MS from the peripheral blood into the central nervous system. In other words, it prevents the cells causing the damage from getting into the central nervous system. Just to say to you that the lymphocytes, the white blood cells, use a Velcro type system and they stick to the blood vessel and pass through. Now that Velcro system are two interac uh, interaction between two proteins and one of them is called VLA4, very late antigen 4. Another name for it's the alpha 1 beta 4 integrin and natalizumab is an antibody that binds to that and prevents it from sticking uh, to its receptor which is called VCAM, vascular cell adhesion molecule that's expressed or shown on the blood vessels. And so what happens is when you're on natalizumab, it binds to the uh, receptor, stops the white blood cell touching to its receptor and going across and just bypasses the brain and spinal cord. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why um, people with natalizumab are at risk of this uh, relatively uncommon adverse event called progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy or PML because the virus it causes, it gets onto the other side of the barrier and causes an infection in the central nervous system. And because the immune system can't find it, uh, people get PML. Just to say to you that this uh, adverse event of not having what we call immune surveillance, trafficking of white blood cells into the central nervous system to find infections, is not unique to, to the virus that causes PML. Um, there are other reasons that, uh, the other infections that have it. Uh, as, uh, that can happen as well. So let's say you get a thing called herpes encephalitis, which is due to uh, herpes simplex virus. In most people, they get a very sudden onset of a headache, temperature, they may have seizures, they really get ill with an encephalitis. People who get herpes simplex encephalitis or natalizumab will have a, a relatively a slow onset, maybe grumbling uh, infection because the immune system doesn't see the virus. So this is how natalizumab works. Natalizumab is, is given as an intravenous infusion and it's given uh, over about an hour. Uh, people have to hang around for an hour after that to watch for uh, potential allergic reactions. And the infusions now are given every four weeks and some people like on a, what they call extended interval dosing, they get it every five or six weeks. Um, to try and reduce their risk of getting PML if they have the virus in their body. Now, what Biogen has done is produced a subcutaneous uh, formulation. Because the dose is quite large, they can't give it as one injection, so you have to have two injections under the skin. Um, they're one mil each, um, and you have to come in uh, to hospital to have those injections. The European Medicine Agency and the MHRA in the UK have mandated that the uh, subcutaneous formulation is given as an inpatient, uh, basically to observe the patients in case they develop any allergic reaction or anaphylaxis, and also to screen them in case they have complications like PML. 
Now, Biogen uh, is very keen for us to shift everybody from the intravenous to the subcutaneous formulation uh, on, the, on the grounds that it will save us time. And it will potentially save time because the infusion at the moment takes about an hour, um, whereas injection should happen over a, few, a minute, maybe. The problem with that claim is I only found out this week that there's instructions that the subcutaneous injections of two syringes have to be taken out of the fridge and left uh, at, room temp uh, at room temperature to warm up so they don't cause discomfort and pain. And that takes at least a half an hour. I mean, there may be ways of heating up the syringes quicker than that, but you know, having to wait for the syringes to warm up uh, will also uh, consume time. So I'm not sure that time saving is such a, uh, a major saving. Um, the cynic in me thinks it's got to do with uh, marketing, and the reason why I say that is that natalizumab or Tysabri is about to come off patent. In other words, competitors can make cheaper versions, and there is a company called Sandos, which belongs to Novartis, that is now doing a study and making a, a biosimilar of natalizumab, and that should be launched in the next year or so. So um, I'm uh, interpreting this rapid push to the subcutaneous formulation so we get everybody onto subcutaneous and not uh, give intravenous infusions so that when the biosimilar gets put on the market and let's say the NHS says we have to use the biosimilar because it's cheaper well there's nobody on intravenous anymore because they're all on the subcutaneous formulation and Biogen has maintained its market share and extended their dominance in that particular product because they've got a new formulation that will be protected by a patent for I don't know how many years so that's the cynic in me who thinks that. Uh, the other way they're forcing us to move to subcutaneous is they're taking away all support for uh, infusions. Now you should say, why, why do we need in the NHS support for infusions? Well, almost all infusion units are understaffed. You know, the NHS tries to run us on the minimum staff numbers. And, and when we have increasing numbers of people with multiple sclerosis needing natalizumab or any one of the other therapies, be it ocrelizumab or even alimtuzumab, um, the companies that make these products uh, provide us with uh, money to actually employ a nurse or they actually employ the nurse themselves and they come into our hospital as agency to help with the infusion of those specific products. And we have fortunately had a lot of support from Biogen over the years with nursing staff to help us with the infusion of natalizumab. And Biogen is going to be withdrawing this resource, which means uh, there's a little push for us to use the subcutaneous because it will help um, manage our staff resources. So that's uh, one of the consequences of this subcutaneous formulation is that they won't be providing any support for infusion nurses uh, in the NHS. We've been discussing this a lot internally, and I think um, my personal opinion is people should be given the option of uh, switching between IV and uh, from the IV to the subcutaneous formulation because some people may not want to have two injections; they may prefer having an infusion. One of the things about natalizumab it is a social drug in the sense that people often come up at the same time every month or every five or six weeks, and they meet other people who they get friendly with, and so it becomes a social interaction. And a lot of my patients. Uh, if one of them delays the infusion by a week, all the people in the same group delay their infusions by a week so that they can stick together in the same uh, infusion cycle. So it's quite an interesting phenomenon, uh, uh, independent of its biological effect in MS, is the fact that it brings people together and they 
become friends, uh, and uh, uh, and there's even been some Tarsabri marriages, people who've met um, themselves, met uh, couples that have met in the Tarsabri infusion units, gone out and socialized, linked up, got married, uh, and so it's more than just uh, a treatment for MS. It's the one drug I think that uh, tells us that people with multiple sclerosis uh, like to meet each other and, and communicate with each other. So I like to think it expands social capital. And that shouldn't be underestimated around the RV infusion. The other thing I discovered this week, and I, I don't know why I missed it, is that the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, actually rejected Biogen's application to get the subcutaneous formulation licensed uh, in the United States. I then emailed... Uh, somebody who works on the Natalismo program and they're asking what the reason was. It got escalated uh, in the chain and I haven't heard back from Biogen why the FDA rejected the uh, application. So I've done a little bit of investigative journalism myself uh, and gone into it. And I personally don't think it's got anything to do with how much uh, Natalismo is absorbed from the skin how much gets into the blood, how much saturation of those Velcro receptors um, uh, they, they occur. Um, I think it may have to do with the immunogenicity uh, or the anti-drug antibodies that natalizumab can induce. So let's give you a little bit of a background from the immunology perspective. Anybody who goes on to a protein therapeutic, okay, their own body may reject that drug uh, and make antibodies to it. We call these anti-drug antibodies. And in most cases, those, those antibodies neutralize the effect of the therapy. And we know from the intravenous trials, um, about 12% of people in the pivotal uh, phase three trial developed anti-drug antibodies, uh, and about half of those people uh, lost them before the end of the first year. In other words, they weren't persistent. And roughly 1 in 25% of people will have persistent uh, anti-drug or neutralizing antibodies to natalizumab. They are important because people who develop neutralizing antibodies often have infusion reactions, uh, uh, you know, usually on the second, third, or fourth infusion, and they have to stop the therapy. So they are really relevant in terms of safety. But in the, even in the people who don't have infusion reactions, we know very well that people who develop anti-drug antibodies, the drug doesn't work. And you might as well stop the drug because it prevents the therapy from working. Now, the subcutaneous formulation, uh, my personal opinion, there isn't enough data out there to know what the neutralizing or anti-drug antibody rate is. So the study that was done uh, to test whether the subcutaneous formulation was equivalent to the intravenous formulation um, took patients that had already been on the drug for more than a year, a year or more and they didn't have anybody. So you can't use the anti-drug antibody from that because it's selected for people that already had tolerance to the drug and were unlikely to develop anti-drug antibodies. And so what they had to do is limit the uh, immunogenicity or anti-drug antibody response to a small trial um, called the DELIVER uh, uh, MS study. And in that trial, only 26%, 26 patients were naive to natalizumab. In other words, had never been uh, treated uh, with natalizumab uh, in the past. And this was called a DELIVER study. And of those uh, 26 patients, six, that's 23% developed anti-drug antibodies. And in one patient, it persisted. In other words, uh, about 5% of patients uh, uh, of that population, which is a tiny population. Now, I happen to know uh, about what size trials you need 
to convince the regulators that your drug is not more immunogenic. Uh, and the reason why I know that is way back in the past, I was the principal investigator, the lead clinician involved in the so-called Rebif new formulation trial. And that trial was designed specifically to test a new formulation of Rebif to try and lower the anti-drug antibodies to the drug. And when we discussed the trial design with both the European Medicine Agency and the FDA, we were told that we needed at least 200 patients for two years in that trial to be confident that the new formulation wasn't more immunogenic than the old formulation. And I suspect the FDA looked at these 26 patients, saw uh, the, the one persistent and the five non-persistent and said, this is just too little data for us to be confident that the subcutaneous route is equivalent to the intravenous route in terms of its ability to induce antibodies or not. Uh, and I suspect that's what they've said to Biogen, go back and do an immunogenicity study and come back to us after you've done that. That's what my prediction would be. Now, this is very relevant because the subcutaneous route of administration is known to be more immunogenic in terms of protein therapeutics or biologic therapeutics. Um, the reason for that is when you inject a drug under the skin, it gets absorbed and goes to the local lymph nodes first, and the lymph nodes are primed to make antibodies. When you give the drug intravenously, most of the drug goes, from an immune perspective, goes into the spleen, and when you put very high doses of protein, and with natalizumab, it's 300 milligrams of each dose, it triggers a mechanism called high zone tolerance. This is a specific mechanism within the immune system that causes the immune system to ignore that drug, that protein or drug has been foreign and it doesn't make any antibodies to it. And there is a precedent here and the regulators uh, will probably remember the story around a product called Eprex. Now Eprex is a was a subcutaneous formulation of a drug called erythropoietin. It's called EPO. You will have heard about EPO. This is a drug that elite athletes, uh, endurance athletes used to abuse. And this drug stimulates your bone marrow to produce extra uh, red blood cells. And we use it to treat the anemia of chronic disorders, particularly people with chronic renal failure who can't make EPO, their kidneys aren't that good. And what happened was when we, people shifted from intravenous EPO to the subcutaneous biosimilar EPREX that caused a small number of people to develop anti-drug antibodies, and those anti-drug antibodies cross-reacted with endogenous, the EPO in the, in, the, in the body, and it caused people to develop a severe aplastic anemia. In other words, their bone marrow failed because there was no EPO going into the bone marrow to stimulate it. So it not only neutralized the drug EPO, but also introduced neutralized the body's EPO. And the EPREX scandal, which it was a scandal, uh, prodded the uh, regulatory community, both the European Medicine Agency, the FDA, and all the regulators across the world to take note of protein therapeutics, biologics, and ask the question about immunogenicity. So this question about whether or not the subcutaneous formulation is less immunogenic than the IV formulation, in my opinion, has not been answered. And on reflection, I would be very worried in treating somebody with the subcutaneous formulation who's naive to natalizumab. I don't mind switching somebody who's been on the drug 12 months or more, who's antibody negative, because based on the larger trial, they're unlikely to develop anti-drug antibodies. So my gut feeling is uh, anybody going on to natalizumab, I think we will, I would be advising them to choose the IV formulation for at least 12 months, and then make a decision to switch to the subcutaneous formulation after that. 
And I would obviously revise this opinion uh, once we see better immunogenicity data around the uh, subcutaneous uh, formulation. Now, what about time? Um, I think we can save time. You know, the IV formulation um, was licensed as a one-hour infusion and, and it's never been shortened. So during the COVID-19 pandemic, we did bring it down to about a half an hour and a lot of units did that to try and speed up the throughput to help with the infusion times. The infusion reactions really are limited to the window where people develop anti-drug antibodies. So most infusion reactions occur at months two, three, or four, and very few, I'm, I'm not joking, very few people get infusion problems with nalizumab, you know, after six or 12 months. So I think there is an ability for us to reduce the infusion times and, and maybe even use nalizumab as a push-in. You just put a butterfly into the arm, load up the syringe with the, um, I think it's 60 mils or 50 mils of the infusion, and you, you push it in as a bolus over a, a 60 seconds to, you know, to, to one to two minutes. Uh, and so I would actually urge Biogen, and I have asked them this in the past, and they said no, to do a trial of what I would call standard infusion time, 60 minutes, versus a rapid infusion time, say, one over 15 minutes, versus a bolus push-in, say, over two minutes. Um, and see if it's tolerated, if it's safe, if there's any problems. Uh, and I'd be surprised if Biogen do this trial, but just maybe the company, that Sandos, that's making the biosimilar will be tempted to do this trial, because if we can get that into the uh, into common practice, then we can save time for people who want to save time by giving them a more rapid infusion rather than moving into the subcutaneous formulation. So it provides options for patients. It also provides uh, infusion units to optimize uh, their time. Um, I think that's a uh, potential uh, time saving uh, as well. I also think that this um, mandate to try and switch people without giving them a choice is also wrong. And I think people should be given the choice uh, about which formulation uh, they want. Um, I know this is a very specific newsletter, but I'm hoping it will help you uh, make an informed decision if you're offered an informed decision about the subcutaneous and IV route and give you some information about this issue of anti-drug antibodies, which, to be honest with you, is a very rarely discussed in clinic. But it's a problem with all our biological therapies, you know, including interferons, uh, we see it not only with nalizumab, we see it with ocrelizumab, we see it with rituximab, we see it with alemtuzumab. It's possibly a big problem with alemtuzumab, particularly when you start using it, uh, getting onto third and fourth infusions, the incidence of drug antibody rates go up. And uh, it's something that is, it needs to be considered with all biological therapies. So I'll leave it at there. Please uh, leave comments, ask questions, and I'll try and address them. And uh, again, I just want to remind remind you, if you haven't subscribed and you can afford to, please do. Um, I, we're using the funds from MSLFI to support the uh, website and the uh, online teaching course. That will be launched later on this year. I hope you enjoy.